Welcome all of you here today. Welcome those of you watching online. We always appreciate our online audience. In the book of Job, Job asked the question, how can a man be righteous before God? How can a man who's a sinner be righteous before a holy God? We know that's a question that people in every generation in all places struggle with. We know that because religion is common to mankind. No matter where you go to the most obscure places, you will find some form of religion. Many have conceived the answer to that question. They've conceived it through some type of religion. Religion is defined as a specific fundamental set of beliefs and practices generally agreed upon by a number of persons or sects. The Apostle Paul lived according to religion before he was saved. He said, according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee, Acts 26, 5. Religion, then, is trying to be right with God by majority opinion. It is a man-made system. It is man attempting to reconcile himself to God. The majority of hardcore Nazis believed that the mass killing of Jews was morally right. Most people in our, and that's what the uh, polls are saying, most people in our country believe that abortion, in some form or another, the killing of the innocent child is morally correct. But we know majority opinion doesn't make something right before God. So religion is basically trying to meet God on man's own terms. In every world religion, every cult is man-centered and is works-based. doesn't matter what belief system, it's some form of works, some form of man trying to do something to earn the favor of God or the many gods, whichever they happen to believe in. And so religion sadly continues to send millions of people to eternal damnation. Hell is full of religious people, people who thought that their religion was going to make them right with God and they would escape eternal punishment. So how can a man be righteous before God? Well, the Bible gives a very clear and consistent answer to that question. However, the question is this. Are you willing to accept what God says in his word? Are you willing to accept God's answer to the question? Or are you going to cling to what maybe the family tradition is in your family? Are you going to cling to some religious heritage that you've inherited? Or are you going to accept the answer that is in God's word as how you can be righteous before God? Now, we've observed the Lord's table here this morning. Paul reveals that Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples when he instituted the Last Supper. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. That was Passover. But Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper out of the Passover. And so that is the connection between the two. So what is the connection between Passover and communion. Well, Passover was the first great festival of Israel, and it commemorated their deliverance from Egypt. That's the passage 
we read here in Exodus. Passover was older than God's covenant with Moses. It was older than the law and the priesthood. It was the, came about because of the 10th plague that God visited upon the Egyptians when they would not let Israel go. There was the plague of water turned to blood, of frogs covering the land, of dust turned into lice, of swarms of flies, diseased cattle, boils upon men and beasts, hail mingled with fire, destruction by locusts and darkness. And all of these plagues were directed at the gods and superstitions of the Egyptians in showing them how false their religion was and how mighty the Lord God was. Now, we can only imagine the devastation of the land of Egypt after all of these plagues. Egypt must have looked like a World War II devastated land after a bombing attack or after a war had devastated the land. But yet, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he still would not let Israel go. So the Lord visited one more judgment upon the Egyptians. He would send the death angel through the camps of the Egyptians, through the land, and the firstborn of man and beast in every household, household would die. But see, God has always made a provision for the righteous. He's always differentiated between the ungodly who reject him and the righteous and his people. That provision is what is called Passover. Passover pictured that God delivers from judgment through the death of an innocent substitute. Not only Passover, but all of the sacrificial system you find in the Old Testament, they are all symbolic of the fact that God delivers from judgment through the death of an innocent substitute, and they are all pointing towards, and we're pointing towards, the coming sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The substitute for Passover was an innocent lamb that was slain. And God gave very careful instructions about this lamb. In verse 2, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. That was the month Abed, which corresponds to the later part of March or the first part of April. The lamb was to be chosen on the 10th of that month, verse 3. Very important, it needed to be a lamb without blemish, a male of the first year, verse 5. And the lamb was to be carefully examined for four days, verse 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the first month. And then God instructed the nation to kill the lamb, verse 6, at twilight. This is repeated in Deuteronomy 16:6 6, at the going down of the sun at the time you came out of Egypt. So now, once the lamb was killed, God gave very careful instructions of what to do with the blood of the lamb. It needed to be applied to the entrance to their home, verse 7. They shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And all the lamb was to be eaten that night, verse 11. Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. Because that very night, God was going to deliver Israel from the Egyptians. In fact, the Egyptians would beg the Israelites to leave them and get out of their land that very night. Now, this may seem strange to modern ears, but God had a very specific plan and a per specific purpose in his instructions about what became the Passover. 
And Passover simply comes from the fact that when the death angel would see the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, when he came to destroy the firstborn, he would pass over that household because he saw the blood. But the blood of the lamb had to be applied by faith in the Lord's provision. There was nothing magical in the the blood of the lamb. Pastor Brian pointed out there's nothing magical in these elements. These elements are representative of something, the blood of Christ, the body of Christ. There's nothing magical in the, the lamb of bulls and goats. It was the obedience by faith in God's provision that saved and delivered the Israelites that night. Verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Nothing but the blood could save the Israelites that night. If one of the Israelite families did not believe in what God had said and they did not apply the blood of the lamb as God prescribed, they too would have seen the death of the firstborn in their family. We learn as we go into the New Testament that the Passover lamb was a type of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. You see, only God could provide atonement for sin that would satisfy his justice and not compromise his grace. God's a God of grace, a God of mercy. It is God's desire in his heart. God is a savior. He wants to save people from their sin, but God is a just God. He's a holy God. He can't just sweep sin under the rug. He can't just overlook sin or he would not be God. So how can God maintain his justice, his holiness, and yet also be a God of grace and mercy? And the answer to that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God without spot or without blemish. Because Jesus knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus committed no sin. 1 Peter 2.22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. In Jesus, there is no sin, 1 John 3.5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Only God could be sinless. Only man could die. That's why Jesus is the one and only unique Savior, because he's the God-man, both God and man. That's what we just celebrated through the Christmas season, the incarnation of Jesus Christ taking on humanity. He is the perfect and only substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of man. Would you note it wasn't the life of the Passover lamb that saved the Israelites? It was the death of the lamb. If one of those homes had said, oh, this little lamb and our children have gotten very fond of it and and we don't want to kill the lamb. No, the lamb was to be killed at twilight. 
and the blood applied. Colossians 1.14 says, In him, meaning Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The word redemption means to deliver by the payment of a price or the payment of a ransom. It was used of freeing slaves from bondage. We were slaves to sin if we had, when we trusted Christ. So the payment for our sin was made to God the Father by the death of the Son, by the shedding of his blood. You see, in the Bible, blood stands for death, Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. When Todd read that passage about the fact that from Hebrews talking about the Old Testament when the tabernacle was standing, that only once a year the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. But it says very specifically in that passage in Hebrews, not without the blood, not without the blood. If that high priest would have gone into that Holy of Holies without the blood, God would have struck him dead because it was the blood that was typical of the blood of Christ that would yet be shed for that high priest to safely go in there and make atonement for the sins of Israel for one year. You see, some believe you can be saved simply by following Jesus' tenets, simply by following Jesus' life. He was the great example. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. They certainly don't understand it because nobody can keep the Sermon on the Mount, but they sort of look at the Sermon on the Mount or some of Jesus' teachings and say, well, you know, if I emulate Jesus and didn't he come to be our, our example Yes, the life of Jesus is very important to our salvation because he lived a sinless life. Therefore, it could be the perfect sinless sacrifice. But if Jesus had never died, we would all still be in our sins. No, Jesus came and lived the perfect life, but then he died on the cross and he shed his blood. Death must be answered by death, and we are spiritually dead Hebrews 9.22, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Only redemption through the blood of Christ can bring the forgiveness of our sins before a holy God. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Justification is a legal transaction. Before the judgment bar of God, as it were, when I accept Christ as my Savior, God declares me righteous and will forever treat me as such. In and of myself, I am not righteous. This is a righteousness provided to me by God. Salvation is a wonderful transaction. When I accept Christ, God takes my sin and judges it on Christ and takes my sin away and forgives it. Then he takes the righteousness of Christ, the perfect life that I could not live, and he clothes me in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So now I am forever secure before God, a holy God, because Jesus only died once. That's why you can only be saved once, and you can't lose your salvation. If you could lose and be, your salvation and be resaved, Jesus would have to die again on the cross and be buried again and be risen again. No, no, one time. This man, the writer of Hebrews says, gave his life for us. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. 
I'm reading all these passages because they all have something in common. It all mentions the blood, the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can save you from your sin. God will accept no other payment. He's not going to accept your religious deeds. He's not going to accept your good works. He's not going to accept your good intentions. None of that. God will only accept the shed blood of Christ. And so we know that Jesus established communion, the Lord's Supper, out of the Passover, which is very significant. And so now, instead of observing the Passover, we come as the church, and we come together, and we observe the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, also called communion. However, there is no religious ritual, even those that God ordained himself that by in and of itself can save you. Just because you come and take communion on a regular basis, that's a religious act, you might say, a spiritual act in a sense. But just because you do that does not mean that you've gained favor with God. We do that because we are saved. You know, we sang that song, and, I, and one, of the, one of the lyrics in, in that song uh, struck me. You know, guilty, I come guilty to be pardoned. I come guilty to be pardoned. See, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. None righteous. No, not one. And for some of you, that might offend you. Your pride might rise up when someone says to you that you are a hopeless, helpless sinner. That there's nothing in us that would cause God to love us. Only his grace, only his mercy coming from himself that he would provide a way of salvation. Hebrews 10.4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament, beginning with the Passover, actually it goes farther back from that. It goes back to, to Genesis in the garden when God provided coats for Adam and Eve when they knew they were naked. He slew animals for that. He shed blood. And that line of blood that began in Genesis runs all the way through the Bible to Revelation. Physical blood is only external. It cannot change a person's heart. The Passover lambs and all the animal sacrifices were shadows. They were types of the reality that God promised would come and did come when Christ died on the cross. They were symbolic of the connection between sacrifice and sin between sin and death. Hebrews 10, the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, that was under the old system, make those who approach perfect. The author is using the word shadow and image to contrast the law and Christ. A shadow merely indicates that a reality exists. But what did the Jews do? And what are people doing today with the Lord's table? Tragically, many people continue to exchange the symbolic for the reality. Instead of understanding that this pictures Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his death on the cross, and only by accepting Christ and what he has done for us can we be saved, they continue to want to observe religious ordinances baptism, confirmation, some kind of sacraments, something that they think they can continually do 
to save them. Instead of accepting the reality of the person of Jesus Christ, they cling to the pictures. They cling to the shadow. When I was away at college, Sally would send me pictures of herself. Now, you young people, this was 50-plus years ago. You know, you, today you take a picture on your phone and boom, it's there. Uh, not so back then. You had to get it developed or unless you had a Polaroid. And then she'd have to put the picture in an envelope and then mail it, not email, snail mail. And eventually that picture would, would get to me. And I always enjoyed that when I was away. So whenever I came home and I got to see her, I would sit down beside her and I would stare at her picture. And I would kiss her picture. And I would hug her picture. You say, well, that's stupid. <laughs> and I didn't do that. <laughs> but that's what people are doing. Instead of embracing the the person of Christ, instead of falling in love with their Savior, they're hanging on to a picture. They're hanging on to a symbol. They're hanging on to a shadow. And that's what religion does. That's why Satan loves religion. Because instead of seeing Jesus and all of his glory and all that he's done for us and being so humbled and so thankful to have our Savior and clinging to Him. Don't cling to the, the rea- don't cling to the picture. Cling to the reality. Hebrews ten three and those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. Continual calling to mind. But in the Old Testament, the priests had to continually, continually, continually offer those sacrifices until Jesus came. And then the whole sacrificial system. Passover was over, and now we observe the Lord's table just as a reminder of what Jesus has done. And so if you notice, whenever we come to the passages on the Lord's table, we are told that Jesus inaugurated a new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. It reminds us continually, nothing but the blood of Jesus can save a person from the penalty of eternal death. How can a person be right with God? By understanding they're a sinner, by understanding who Jesus Christ is, the very Son of God, who took on human flesh, thus he would come and he would die on the cross, be buried and rose again, so that he might offer to you and I eternal salvation. Back in the Old Testament, and it came to pass at midnight, the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose the night, that night he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. That wasn't true of the Israelites, that was true of the Egyptians. What a statement. It was not a house where there was not one dead. Dick Lucas says, there's no protection from God in religion. 
You know, you look back in history, the Egyptians were an incredibly religious people, incredibly religious people, all kinds of gods, all kinds of observances, none of their gods, none of their religious observances could save them that night. And that was from physical death, never to save them from eternal death. Their religion couldn't save them, and your religion can't save you. Maybe for some of you, this was your family heritage. You say, yeah, but this is what my grandparents believed in. Our whole family has, you know, this is the faith system that we, we have been taught. And, and, but is that what the Bible says? Because you take the most religious people in the world, religion will not save you. And yet in the midst of all of this judgment, I mean, you want to talk about seeing the hand of God in judgment. They saw it that night in Egypt. Think about in your neighborhood. There's not one house where someone has not died. What an incredible judgment. But in the midst of judgment, we see the grace of God. As Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families. Kill the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Now, God's provision required the application of the blood. God's provision required the application of the blood. It's a beautiful picture of our personal salvation. If your parents are Christians, thank God for that. That's not going to save you. If you come from a family of Christians, thank God for that. It's not going to save you. If you come from a family of non-Christians... You can come personally before the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can accept God's wonderful gift of salvation, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means you receive that gift, you humble yourself, you admit you're a sinner, you recognize there's no righteousness in you, there's no righteousness gained through religion, no matter whatever deeds you think you can do. Only the blood of Christ can deliver you from God's judgment. There is no deliverance apart from the blood of Jesus. Did God fulfill what he promised? Verse 29, it came to pass at midnight the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Jesus Christ has offered you eternal salvation. Now, one day, yes, Christ is coming back. One day there will be a time of sweeping judgment. But before that, each of us, if the Lord tarries, will step out of this life into eternity. 
And the only protection that you and I have is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The shed blood applied to my soul, to your soul, because you've acknowledged the fact that you're a sinner. You've repented of your sin. You've called upon God to save you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you want to live your life for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the blood had to be applied. Just because the lambs were killed, if they didn't apply the blood, they would have experienced the death of their firstborn. Now we're talking about eternal death, eternal damnation. So, just because Jesus died and was buried and rose again, some people preach that that's great, we're all, we're all fine. No, no. Each one must individually, personally repent and ask Jesus Christ to save them. Do you realize God does not demand payment from you or me? God doesn't demand a payment because the payment's already been made. I don't care what some religious person or religious professional tells you. God does not demand a payment from you. What he demands is you accept his son. You accept the payment that's already been made. You accept by faith what Christ has done. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have you applied the blood to your heart, to your life? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ?